0: Hello, this is Dusty Rhodes, and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free on our website at techcentral.ie. This week, we're onto a subject that we like talking about a lot autonomous self drive cars, where, as you know, know, Google and Tesla and Uber have been leading the way in developing cars that require little or no human supervision on the roads. However, that's only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to autonomous systems. So over the next two weeks, we're going to meet with some of Ireland's top researchers who are looking to change the nature of driving and a lot, lot more. To start, TechCentral.ie editor Niall Kitson spoke with Joe Gibbs. He's the Business Development Manager at Lero, the Irish Software Research Centre, to find out more.
1: Okay, Joe. Just to get started on the idea of uh, automation in software, um, I guess the, the the awful stereotypical idea is you walk into your house and a sensor picks you up and adapts the lighting to your, you know, to your preference or maybe you know the tv switches itself on but i'm sure there are much more interesting applications that are going on at the moment so what kind of projects are we looking at uh, and sort of broad areas are we getting into the stage where we're just looking at software that can look after itself or are we looking at software that looks after people without prompting or are we looking at a bit of both
2: i think uh from the centre's perspective we're looking at a bit of both Um, I I think Software at the very basic level enables a device or a home to use sensors to to figure out what's going on around it and and what's happening and then to make decisions about that. Now, the level of autonomy or the level of intelligence that you built into that can vary greatly from simply just sensing that you're there and turning on the lights To learning over time that you arrive home at 6 o'clock every evening or 6.30 every evening except maybe on a Thursday when it's 9 o'clock and adjusting the heating and adjusting the lighting uh, to greet you when you come in so I I think when we think in terms of of smart software or autonomous software, the levels of autonomy vary greatly. And and I think there's no place that that's more obvious, I guess, than in autonomous vehicles.
1: So when you're looking at um, autonomous cars, I mean, we're we're getting used to the idea of um, autonomous vehicles through Google, through Uber, through various trials that are going on in the States at the moment. But they come with a very... um, I want to say quite easy set of constraints in that American cities are generally laid out in a grid system so there aren't very there aren't an awful lot of twists and turns for vehicles to deal with. So I guess in looking at auto, um, automated vehicles what kind of challenges are you seeing that are perhaps unique to Ireland or to Europe that they just don't have to deal with in the states?
2: Well, I guess you, you you know one of the the obvious ones is, is as you've mentioned that when you have either. Very well-structured cities, or you have big open highways, it can be a lot easier to to envisage a future in which there are autonomous vehicles. Um, when you have a a city where there's already, you know, challenges with with traffic, um, or indeed when you have a, a large rural population, where you have small narrow roads. Uh, It's a lot more difficult, perhaps, to envisage a fully autonomous future. Uh, And for us within Liro, I guess that's one of the, the key areas of research for us and what we feel is the biggest challenge over the coming years. In other words, if you want to think about pure, full autonomy, uh, and that may come sometime in the next 30, 20, 30 years, the challenges are nowhere near as difficult as they are in that nearer term blended or mixed autonomous environment. And for a small country like Ireland, uh, we're likely to have to uh, cope with that mixed or blended environment for longer perhaps than many of the other uh, large countries. So I think that's certainly a big challenge for us. Um, The other thing, I guess, is that in order to facilitate it, there there are obviously technical challenges, but there are also challenges in terms of ensuring that our regulation and that our... Um, our business models, our, our ways of doing, of doing business, of storing data, of managing data. All of these are challenges that we have to face as well. Uh, so when we think of autonomous vehicles, it's a, a much bigger uh, challenge than, than people sometimes realize.
1: So we're, we're getting away from sort of the idea that, you know, yeah, it's, it's fine using the likes of LiDAR, uh, in a car but um you know, we are still at the stage where you do need a significant element of human um supervision, I suppose.
2: Indeed, uh, and I mean, if you think about it, people are, are, are I guess, scared in some, at, at times of the idea of autonomous vehicles. I mean, while most people like the idea of sitting into a car and driving from A to B or have a uh, being driven from A to B, the reality is that if you were offered that opportunity tomorrow morning, um, you would probably be pretty nervous about doing it. So, we we have the challenge of overcoming that, that mistrust, if you like, or potential mistrust of autonomous vehicles vehicles. Um, And I wouldn't underestimate that social challenge in terms of of getting people to actually adopt and, and use the technology. But I guess what's interesting for me is that when you think about autonomy, again, people think in terms of pure autonomy. But yet for 10, 15 years, you've already been in a situation where you've been given over the control of your vehicle. To some extent, to electronics and software. When you use cr- cruise control, when you use ABS, when you use uh, uh, any of the um, adaptive safe systems that, that uh, something like ADAS uh which actually help you to to drive, help you to um, you know help help you to drive your vehicle or take control of your vehicle at various times, and yet that's going on in the background without you really realizing that it's actually happening. Um, so I think. Educating people to the fact that, you know, you're already handing a lot of the control for your travel from A to B over to a system that you don't fully understand as it is, and that this is only one further step forward, albeit a large one, uh, to get to the point of full autonomy. So in the short term, over the next 10 years or so, the the, the general feeling seems to be that while fully autonomous vehicles will certainly be out there, that in a lot of the applications or in a lot of the use of these vehicles, uh, that the driver will still have to be there and able to take control of the vehicle.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know. Well, we've we've been talking about autonomous vehicles because they they're a particularly good lab when it comes to the sort of technologies that are coming down the line. But, but which other areas are we are we looking at as well?
2: Yeah, that's interesting for us, I suppose, is that when we look at the the research challenges, there's certainly plenty of them in Ireland. But when we look at at the opportunities for Ireland, certainly there are opportunities in the software space, in, in automotive, but there are also opportunities in agriculture, in aerospace, in marine, and indeed in manufacturing. So if I look at some of the projects that we've been discussing and indeed some of the projects that we've taken on over the last 12 months, they range from those obvious ones like the automotive to less obvious ones uh, like an autonomous farm rover, uh, an autonomous industrial vehicle which roams the factory carrying parts from one part of the factory to another, Uh, an autonomous taxi system for aircraft uh, which essentially would take control of an aircraft at the end of the runway and taxi it to the to the ramp and back again. So there is all sorts of applications uh, for autonomous systems that don't necessarily spring to mind unless you're involved in that particular domain.
1: Well, one of the points there, when you're looking at an autonomous system, is that it it does require a reliance on sort of machine learning technologies, which in turn require uh, have a reliance on an awful lot of data to back them up. So, uh, how does um, the treatment of data? evolve in tandem with the evolution of software because we know that down the line next year we have the general data protection regulation coming in so from the perspective of a research center how do you look at that sort of tension between needing an awful lot of data in order to progress your research but also needing an awful lot of security to make sure it conforms to the new european standard
2: well, it's an interesting question, I guess, and it, it's not so much a question for us as a research center, more a, a challenge for the companies and the businesses that, that see the opportunities in using this data, and that in turn leads to their interest in getting us involved. Uh, so, for instance, we're seeing a lot of interest around the uh, the governance of data and, and how you know just because you have the data, can you combine it with data from somewhere else to to then create a, a business model or to come to some deduction that wouldn 't otherwise be possible? Do you have the right to use that data? What are the ethics around using that data uh, and, and when we talk about ethics, I guess that 's the other thing in relation to autonomous systems is the ethics of of autonomous decision making and again when we're designing systems or designing um, autonomy into systems, should we be looking at what the ethics of those of that decision-making is? Again, one of the research challenges that, that we face and
1: that we're coming up against from some of our uh, collaborative partners in industry. Um, so let's let's look a, a little bit deeper into this because we know that um, automation is, is on the way and what people should be concerned about isn't so much, yes, the, the factory jobs are there and they're replicable, but there has a, been a trajectory towards the increased automation of factories for years and years. Uh, I think the, the big problem people are going to have to deal with is the replacement of low-level white-collar jobs uh, with automated systems. Do you think that's a, a reasonable concern?
2: I think it is. Uh, if you look at, at, you know, if you look at something like the taxi industry, um, already we see uh, ride-sharing companies, uh, we see taxi apps, for that matter, that are actually there to manage the the um, manage the use of, of taxis. You have to think that somewhere in the in, in the not so distant future, uh, that a lot of those. Uh, taxis will be replaced by autonomous pods or autonomous cars that that, that will take people from one place to another um, even in the factory environment we've seen this obviously over the years that that it um, you know that those low-level jobs uh, often get replaced by automation or by robotics and I think you'll, you'll continue to see that so I suppose it, when you look forward, maybe 20, 30 years, there's a couple of alternative scenarios. And, and one is that you, you create, I guess, a, a part of society that suddenly struggles to, to find opportunity again, um, and that will obviously create its own tensions. The other is that, you know, you be optimistic about it, I guess, and when you look forward, you see that all of us potentially have more free time and, and the ability to enjoy that leisure time a little bit more while automation takes care of more and more of the day-to-day routine jobs.
1: So that sort of puts uh, uh, the workforce in a very interesting place. I mean, if you're only wor- if the number of hours that you're working is steadily declining, with the assumption that more leisure time is a good thing, but your actual wage is decreasing, um, how, how do we think that's going to work out in the in the long term? Are we going to have to rethink the the whole concept of uh, a working wage?
2: Uh, potentially, I guess, yes, but it's not uh, – I think it's important to remember these aren't new problems. Uh, if you if you look at the Industrial Revolution and, and what it did, uh, and then you look at various times over the last, you know, 100 years or so as technology has advanced – to some extent uh, we've been under that threat for a long time and in each you know as the years go by we adopt and, and adapt and adapt and and find a way through it and I don 't see any reason to think that that's not going to continue in the future but in the meantime I guess it also poses research questions uh, for centers like ourselves that go beyond just the pure technical challenges uh, we do in fact we notice that there are more and more of a demand, or there is more and more of a demand, I guess, to have psychologists, to have anthropologists, to have sociologists and psychologists involved in some of our projects, because there is an element to it, that uh, what you might term a soft element to it, but essentially it, what it boils down to is how technology affects people's lives, whether that's somebody out on the West Coast where Uh, You know, potentially maybe they get more isolated for the simple fact that the rest of us are are commuting in autonomous vehicles, but the challenges in terms of implementing that in in more rural areas becomes a problem. Or whether you look at, uh, as we have for one of our own projects, where you look at the effect on the ages. And suddenly maybe at 70 years of age where it was becoming more of a challenge to drive, you now have the ability to perhaps go from one end of the country to the other in an autonomous vehicle without having to worry about uh, your health and, and the fact that you may not be able to drive anymore.
1: I think that's a really interesting point that uh, the way that autonomous systems will will have an effect on our, our humanity, especially as, as you mentioned, if you were to um, if you lived in a remote area and the postman is, is your main is your main post uh, is your main point of social contact. If that if that job is replaced with a with a, an automated delivery vehicle or a drone or something like that, that can have fairly, uh, fairly significant impact on your mental health.
2: It can indeed, uh, but then I guess social media is something that has also had an effect on perhaps reducing the isolation of people living in, in, in isolated uh, rural areas. So, you know, technology, I suppose, takes on the one hand and, and perhaps gives opportunities on the other hand. It's, a lot of it is about trying to find the balance, um, and I guess as we go forward to seeing where that, where that balance you know settles.
1: Um, So let's talk a little bit more um, about the present and your current role in Liro, because you're you're sort of acting as the interface between academics and industry. So um, tell us a little bit about the nature of your work at the moment.
2: Yeah, I I find it fascinating. I suppose my background is 30 years in industry, of which about half of it was in leading R&D teams, mainly for American multinationals um, and a lot of that in the automotive sector. Uh, I guess the difference between that and what I'm doing now is that now I'm working, um, I'm talking to a lot of the people that I might have have worked for or with uh, in the past uh, and looking at the type of challenges that they're facing now, tomorrow, and maybe much further down the line. And then bringing those challenges back into the research center uh, to see if we have researchers who have that expertise and who have that interest and that ability to help to solve some of those problems. Um, so from my perspective, it's, it's, it's fascinating you know, to, to be talking about automotive on one day, cybersecurity the next, and, and potentially looking at uh, professional e-gamers the following day. Um, so the, the 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 breadth of the uh, of the research is is, is fascinating, um, and that that challenge of taking essentially the two worlds and looking how each can add value to the other, because ultimately uh, our researchers derive significant value from collaborating with industry partners, and from looking at the type of challenges that they have, and from taking their research and applying it to solving some of those problems. And obviously, the, the hope is that the industry and business partners would also benefit in, in some way from having many of those challenges, at least give them a direction, or in some cases, solving the problems that they're facing.
1: And when we're looking at Ireland's position, um, I mean, I know the, the research centres, have, um, they're pretty well settled at this stage. So how strong are those lines of communication, say, you know, uh, are SMEs reaching out are are the multinationals do do they have an open door policy at this stage because you know ireland as as we know has all the multinationals here so how easy is it becoming to uh, knock on the door as a research center or maybe you know for companies to come to you guys and say look we're struggling with this problem Do, do you have something that can help us
2: Well, I think it's certainly become easier. I mean, if I look back even 10 years from when I would have been in industry, uh, first of all, I suppose there were less opportunities to work with academia. And secondly, in the time before the research centers, it was always a challenge knowing, well, which university or technical institute should I go to? And if I figured that out, which researchers should I go to? So I think one of the things that the research centers have been very good in doing is providing a focal point for industry or business, Uh, to come and talk about specific problems and then for the centre to help them to find the individual researchers within the system, uh, wherever within Ireland they might be, uh, that are best positioned to help to solve the problem. So I think that has certainly um, improved things significantly over the past number of years since the centres came about. I guess the other thing is that the centres, particularly as they've become more established, Uh, there's a little bit more cooperation between the centers themselves. And what we're finding in some cases is that with some industry partners, we go and we talk to them and we find, you know, they've got two or three research topics that are directly in our space, but perhaps one of them is more suited to somebody, one of the centers in the data analytics or in the the networking and and connectivity space. Uh, And in that case, we try to bring them in as well. And I think that's going to increase as we go forward.
1: I think that's a really interesting dynamic because in, in talking to the centres at the moment, you you don't get an appreciation of the level of. Uh, I guess I came across the term coopetition opetition uh, a few years ago, and, and and I think that kind of sounds like what what you're outlining there—the idea that you know, yes, there's a massive crossover of expertise, but you know, you're you're probably vying for the for the same uh, a share of the same pie, if you will, as well.
2: To some extent, yes, um, but I, I think recognizing that there are certainly, you know, we have industry partners, we're building relationships with them over time, in some cases we have multiple projects with them, it isn't always possible to be all things to all men, and, and I think recognizing that and, you know, looking to some of the, of the other centers and potentially working with them to solve those problems, it's important that we, we, we keep ourselves open to that. I, and I think the other thing is that many of the... I, I, I mentioned this earlier, I think, in our discussion, that many of the type of problems that we're coming across, are more and more, they're becoming multidisciplinary. And that isn't just multidisciplinary in terms of technical and perhaps sociology and psychology, but it's also multidisciplinary in terms of software, data analytics, connectivity, digital content. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there are certainly uh, a lot more opportunities for us to work together, I think.
1: Um, right, so just um, sort of bringing things back then to, to the basic idea of of. of automation um is is the fear there when it comes to people sort of approaching the center with um uh project ideas is there you know is there a uh, i don't want to say a backlog but are, are we seeing more and more applications for projects in this area or is it still very much a case of people treating it Uh, A bit like science fiction or or the outer realms of of computer science, if you will. Do you you find that these projects are becoming um, uh, more accessible or, or in a sense that people are generating more ideas themselves and coming to the center with them and saying, this is something we'd like to explore?
2: I think there are certainly more coming with that. And I suppose when you, when you, particularly when you're dealing with some of the bigger multinationals, uh, they're working within an overall environment within their, um, you know, within their corporate structures where perhaps there's a focus on autonomous systems uh, for one reason or another. But well, I think even the smaller companies or the, um, the more, no pun intended, the more autonomous groups within larger organizations, I think are realizing that often they are sitting on large quantities of data or they are pulling a lot of information from sensors that they have access to and they have, they, they, they're not fully realizing the, um, the potential from a business perspective. And that they are coming to the centers to say, look, you know, we have all this data, we have all this information, we have the ability to change things, uh, but we need to change it on the fly. It needs to be live, real-time decision-making. Can you help us? Yeah. Uh, so we're certainly seeing that and obviously we go to seminars, we go to conferences, we, we go to meetings of companies, we try to promote it, we have partners who maybe are working with us in the area of looking at software development processes and you know during the course of a conversation they realize that we're working at autonomous systems and they go oh, well we'd be interested in talking to you about that or vice versa obviously. Um, so I I certainly think there's, I suppose from our perspective, we've been working in the area of autonomous and adaptive systems for a number of years. But in the last 12 months, although we ourselves have put more focus on going looking for industry partners in this space, we've certainly seen huge interest in it and people coming to us when they realized that. That, that we have this uh, research expertise and interest.
1: And one final point just to explore when people do make a presentation to you, are they thinking about the business value of what they're bringing to you, or is it still uh, the sense of blue sky, pure research? I mean, are people getting more of a business brain? Yeah.
2: The majority, I suppose, of the projects that would come to us would be either looking to solve some problem which will lead to a business opportunity uh, or looking perhaps to develop a concept or a prototype in an area. But we we certainly have companies that will come to us and say, look, we're not sure how important this, we're not sure how this is going to evolve for our business but we know that it's important and what we'd like to get from you is some direction or indication of where we should be putting our development efforts in the future. So there's a little bit of both, I think. Um, you'll always have, have companies that, that are interested in the long-term, strategic, where should they be putting emphasis and investment. And obviously, you'll have companies who are interested in something that's going to lead to a business
0: opportunity in two, four, or six years down the line. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Joe Gibbs from Lero, the Irish Software Research Centre. Next week, we're going to do a deep dive and talk with some of Ireland's foremost researchers in the area. But in the meantime, if you'd like to know more about Lero, you can visit their website at Lero.ie. That's it for this week's show. Remember, you can get all the latest on Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more from techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show online and broadcast every Friday at 6 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Until next week, for myself, Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a good weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.